Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a special episode. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting alongside my partner here and co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It is going great, Andrew. How is it going with you? It's good. We're back on our three podcast grind a week. <laughs> now, this is just a special episode, um, really because we had sent out our um, our performance, our Q3 performance uh, on Twitter and to all of our um, investors yesterday. And I thought, why not dedicate a whole podcast to really just talk through the process? Obviously, our business has had, or talked through the quarter, our business mm-hmm. has had a lot of different changes kind of on a going forward basis uh, that happened in Q3. So I thought, why not dedicate a uh, whole podcast to talking? about it. And um, this was a very long letter. This took me 35 minutes okay. to read. I don't even know how that many sounds, pages is this. Sounds right. This it's is, close to 12,000 words, I yeah, think. So, yeah. so it's very long. And that's what is going to be going forward. Um, obviously, in the past, for all of our clients, you would send a monthly memo, right, that was short. Uh, which was usually about a page. But now going forward, we are only going to uh, you know, you're only going to talk to them via letter about once a quarter, so four times yep. a year. Quarterly. But luckily, we do two podcasts a week, so if they want to hear yeah. your voice, come on over here to the Focus <laughs> Compounded Podcast. So the title and the quote that you gave, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. I was yeah. laughing when I first read it. A lot it. of letters start with the quotes. So. Yeah, but it's always like other investor quotes. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun that it was about, it was my quote. Mm-hmm. And I started laughing when I was reading it. And it says, eh, we're 0 for 2 on asset plays so far. Yep. And that was, I guess, the theme of this letter. It is, yeah. Um, you know, and that story comes from, we were in Central Park mm-hmm. in New York. Jeff was reading on his Kindle. Uh, we had about like what a few hours in between meetings. Yep. I was on my iPhone, kind mm-hmm. of just reading some stuff. I also had an investor call. We got a, yes. a good commitment in Central Park, yeah. <laughs> um, and then my iPhone died. And we were thinking about what could we do to sort of, um, you know, uh, spend that time well before yep. our next meeting. And you said that you wanted to go look at uh, condos. Yes, at a condo project. Yep. Yeah, you want to talk about that constructed building? Yeah, yeah. So there's a publicly traded company in uh, the Trinity Place Holdings, right? which we. We don't own. We do not own it, and uh, we probably won't own it, as it talks about in this letter. But uh, they have a property at 77 Greenwich, I think the property is called. It's the former Sims site, which was a, a retailer, and uh, which went through bankruptcy and emerged from bankruptcy and, and turned this uh, thing into a very big, uh, very tall condo using the footprint that they had before from um, the retailer that they had. So uh, they have a bunch of debt on it. And then once they pay off that debt with the proceeds from the condos, then the excess over that will create a lot of the value for the stock that you have. And um, that is, you know, so basically, it's an asset play where it's based on the performance uh, that you'll get for like, um, uh, how, how much per square foot that sells for yep. is basically it. So like if it sells for, you know, $3,000 per square foot, you'll do well in the stock. If it sells for 1500 you know, you, you'll 
uh, break even or something at today's price. I don't know the exact numbers, but something like that is probably what I was saying when we were uh, at that bench in Central Park. Yeah. And I had said, eh, we're 0 for 2 on asset plays. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, because we had bought two different companies uh, since we started the manager accounts. Last year, we uh, we bought both of them last year. But we sold one of them earlier, and then we just sold one this last quarter. One was Maui Land and Pineapple. That was the earlier one. Yeah. And the one that we just sold was what we refer to as cool a lot in this yeah, podcast. Which, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it was four miles away. So I was being kind of lazy, but also I four just... Four miles away through Manhattan. Yeah, yeah I think, Manhattan. I think uh, uh, I'm sure the phone said it would take 40 or 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously I said, that. I mean, but the reason why I did say that is because we have bought other businesses that aren't asset plays that have yes. been great for us and, and they've done much better. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, what's talked about in the quarterly letter yeah. is why that is. Yeah, yeah. so you uh, started with that and then obviously you went to talk about our performance, mm-hmm. which year to date we're up 37.8% gross okay um obviously compared to the market that's a you know a pretty decent outperformance so where do you think that outperformance has come from uh well the outperformance came from two stocks basically it came from naco and computer services uh-huh. yeah and we don't own computer services anymore no, which you talk about and if quarter. you want to get access to this letter tech, check my twitter okay um but also sign up on our email list because it goes out to all, everybody on the email list okay yeah. i think <laughs> if not it's going to <laughs> it, so. it should have by now yeah, yeah. but go to my twitter at focus compound um, but yeah, so a lot of that performance came from NACO, which obviously they have made mm-hmm. some changes or some different news has come out about the business over the past couple of weeks, really. Yeah, they got a contract for a lithium mine. So for people who don't listen all the time to the podcast, uh, NACO is, uh, does contract mining of lignite coal, which is um, obviously people are concerned about for like uh, uh you know, green perspective from a climate change perspective and things like that. Coal is declining over time. Um, the big thing that lithium is put into is batteries, especially yeah. for, for electric cars. So, I mean, maybe some people saw um, that there's a change in the company that, you know, it's, it has a better future that way. Um, the stock probably went up as much as uh, that contract would really be worth, though, uh-huh. is what I talk about in the letter, is that basically uh, I didn't think the stock was expensive before, the announcement, and I don't think it's expensive after, but I do think that the reaction to it uh, isn't underdone. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'd say that reaction might be appropriate if there's like a hundred percent sure thing that this is going to happen. But we're talking about a mine that wouldn't really be producing uh, lithium until three or four years from now or something yeah. like that. And um, you know, things can always happen. It's not as safe as a utility thing that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we went on to talk about how we are going to report gross returns going forward yeah. instead of net like we did before. And obviously yeah. that's because we are launching a new fund. Um, yeah. You know, there's about four different, I guess, between the managed accounts and the hedge fund, there's going to be probably like four different um, fee schedules. Yeah. Um, so just to make it a little bit more of an apples to apples approach, reporting yeah, gross is, is the best. Ask why is yeah. mine slightly different yeah. than you? Um, we talk about the announcement. Obviously, um, we uh, I'm sure everybody listening knows we are, we part with Willow, Willow Oak Asset Management, mm-hmm. which is... Um, That's why we're in New York. Yeah, that is why we're in New York. Uh, they are affiliated with Enterprise Diversified. They specialize in emerging managers, kind mm-hmm. of handling the back office. They are going to do all of our fund management services. They're going to launch the fund. Uh, we have a great relationship with the chairman, Stephen Keel, and their team at Willow Oak. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to come from it for us personally. That just made a lot of sense to partner with them. Yeah. Uh, but we are expecting to launch that fund January 1st of mm-hmm. 20. 
2020. It's going to be for qualified investors only, $250,000 uh, minimum. Go to the website. It has all the information on there. I uh, don't want to really bore you with that here. Uh, so then we went on to talk about asset plays, right? Yes. A and uh, you talked a little bit about KEWL and mm -hmm. MLP, yep. uh, Maui Land and Pineapple, which we've spoken about both of those companies on uh, this podcast. But maybe you just want to give a little snapshot of KEWL and MLP. Yeah, so what I said in the letter is basically, um, why did I buy these things? Because they weren't really that much cheaper than computer services or NACA. They really weren't cheaper. Um, but it was more, uh, I think, that of how sure you were that they were cheap. Yeah. Um, and not really how sure you were that they were cheap, but how easy it was to tell. Because you can look at something like an appraisal that someone did or what the price per acre is or whatever like that. And uh, they were probably selling at anywhere from half to two-thirds of what they were um, worth. And yet, I was saying that the businesses like NAC on computer services, basically, if I did my calculation, which, you know, I don't do a DCF, but if people are thinking that kind of the same sort of, you know, you get to a result based on how much uh, free cash flow it produces and things like that, I would have guessed that those were, were you know, worth twice what they were selling at, too. Uh -huh. So it wasn't really uh, more of a value play to buy those um, asset plays. Um, but I did it, and it's more typical of, like, a Bangram type thing, you know. And so I talk a little bit about, like, why that is, you know. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that was, you know, funny is when we were talking about going to look at, uh, you know, the condo development yeah. and everything like that, we really started to go through the process. I'm like, okay, well, is it overlooked? <laughs> we're yeah. like on my iPhone. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking at the share <laughs> turnover. We're just doing all these calculations mm -hmm. on our calculators and stuff. I'm like, okay, is it overlooked? We're like, okay, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Right. It, I'm like, what's the market cap on the company? We mm -hmm. went through there. It's a, it's a smaller company. Yeah. I think 130, 140 million. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, is it a good business? Right. And like, then no. you're like, no, it's not <laughs> a good business. So then I, and then I'm like, why is it not a good business? And then you started to explain that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to explain why it's not a good business? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's taking the proceeds that are from the sale of these condos to buy uh, apartments in Brooklyn at, at um, low cap rates, meaning high prices. It's paying very high prices for them. Yeah. Uh, so once it reinvests those, it's not going to be great that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I thought it was funny. You know, we kind of went down the process. And we we're talking about the businesses. And you're like, mm -hmm. so you want to go look at it? And I was kind of like... Eh, what did I say? I said, eh, we're only we're zero for two on on asset plays. Yeah, exactly. And then you wrote in the letter. You what did you say? I thought it was really funny. You said like that's the only that's all you like needed to hear about it or whatever right. from the manager accounts, which obviously only two yeah. plays in is not a good statistical, um, you know, record at all. Right. But I just yeah. personally, me, I mean, of course, you have full autonomy over the portfolio and, and mm -hmm. the final decision making. But I just from the businesses that we look at, it's like CSVI was such a no brainer type of idea right. where there was no. It, it was just business as usual. You yeah. Know, it was just a great company. Yeah. Like I said, it was good advice. So, yeah. And, and it's true. All of the poor performance from the managed accounts, uh, all the negative performance on an absolute basis, certainly. And I think all of the perform uh, on a relative basis, too. I think everything except for the asset place has outperformed the market since we bought it. So it isn't just that the account did the, the accounts did that through a couple things. It's basically that everything except for the asset place has worked yeah, out, which it, is a matter of luck over such a short period totally. of time, but is also an indication that I probably should have invested more in the better businesses and less and, and you know, place. you had said that, and it's kind of like the Buffett and the Munger thing where, you know, Buffett still does arbitrage, and whenever mm -hmm. he tells Charlie that, Charlie jokes and says, well, it'll keep you out of the bars. Exactly, you know I mean, yeah. I guess if you kind of grow up with it, it's, you still... Yeah, and that's what know. I was talking about with the asset plays. I mean, we only buy those sorts of things anyway when we don't have, uh, I feel like we have a good business to buy at a cheap price. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you talked about CSVI, and yep. you walked through the analysis with there, and then mm -hmm. how you... Um, um, its competitor was Jack Henry and kind yeah. of the similarities between those two businesses. And, you know, oftentimes people, for example, with CSV, 
TI. It's a great business. It's a uh, trades over the counter, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, it's never going to trade at a premium, or I guess in relation to its public. Um, competitors that don't trade yeah. over the counter, they trade on a major exchange because it's an over the counter stock. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talked about this at the Will Oak event. You said you just buy it, you bought it, and the stock re-rated itself as if not as if it was like those other companies. Yeah. but it, it you know it still went up. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, we didn't pay a particularly high price for it. We paid, like I said, probably 15 times forward earnings or something for it. But uh, and if you look at their competitors and their peers, you know that they're bigger companies, public companies. Um, they trade at really high PEs. Yeah. I mean, we sold, I think, at a 25 or a little bit more than that times PE. Uh, several of these right now probably trade at 40. Yeah. Their, mm-hmm. their peers. So it, it's true that, I mean, I guess people are right in the sense that the computer services still doesn't trade at the exact same multiples yeah. as the big, the companies that are like in the S&P 500 or something. But, um, you know, it, what people often ask is like, what's the catalyst or something? And you've watched computer services. Yeah. Um, what changed about the business in the time that we owned it? Nothing. I don't know if anything's changed over the past 20 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and yet the, the, we said like, I think the annualized return was like 60% a, a year yeah. annualized, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, that's a, very fast rate of growth in something in a stock price, that means significant re-rating if you're seeing something go up 60% in a year, basically. Um, and so why did it happen? It just does. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think that something's worth 30 times earnings or something and it's trading at 15, then you buy it and then eventually sometimes it, it does get a higher PE mm-hmm. usually. You don't have to own it forever. But if we did own it forever, then it would be growing at a good rate and you know it would be doing fine until such a point as the PE expanded. Yeah. Um, and then you went on to talk about the new stock that we own in the portfolio, yeah. which you wrote a little bit about that, Necker. Necker, yeah. Which is a stock that trades in Norway. Correct. Um, and we bought that for net cash. Yes, for net cash, although the cash, some of it is uh, customer prepayments. Uh-huh. So I talked a little bit about that and said, you know, I wanted to caution people that we, we paid less than cash for it, but it's not like we didn't pay anything for it and trying to explain that. But on the other hand, if you look at like the PE or something of what it will be, it has no PE now because it got rid of like 90% of its business and paid out its dividend. So its numbers look messy right now. But like in a year or something, its PE will look kind of normal. And I'm saying, you know, um, it's a lot cheaper than that because we bought it at, like we said, uh, net cash, yeah. At less than the cash it has, yeah. Uh-huh. And we bought that um, pre-dividend when they before they paid out. Yes. Uh, I was getting up at, the, what was it, 3 a.m. <laughs> Central time. Start, uh, for the, 3 a.m. our time was when Norway opened. Yep. Yeah, for a couple of weeks because we had to get so much of the managed accounts yes. before uh, the ex-dividend date. Right. Well, and, I told you that. But yeah. as it turned out, that's not true. The stock didn't go up. I mean, the stock didn't really go up yeah. after the ex-dividend and, and the reason that we did that was because we thought it would go up more after... Because some, yeah. some people ask us about that. Clients, they yes. say, why did you guys buy beforehand? Because you technically just got the yeah, capital Yeah, we should probably back. explain that a little better. Yeah. So uh, the stock was trading at maybe seven times, uh, not seven times, but uh, seven Norwegian kroner. Yeah. Uh, and so um, it had said that it was going to pay out a dividend of uh, basically four NOK per share. And so with the stock price at seven, we had significant concerns that um, it that when that dividend was paid, it might not drop all the way down to three, meaning, in essence, the stock would get more expensive on the day the dividend happened. And a real concern that the payment of the dividend stuff would attract attention to it. Yeah. That was a really big concern. Uh, it attracted a lot of volume. I don't know it attracted a lot of attention. I was going to say, I mean, that volume was good for us, though, either that way. That was great. You know? yeah. And <laughs> yeah. there was volume ahead of it, too. There were people who, I guess, wanted to get out before the dividend or were yeah. fine getting out before the dividend. There's plenty of volume, which is something that we needed. And yeah, for us, part of the calculation is that that company only has like a 
it's the equivalent of like $30 million in U.S. market cap. So it's it's necessary for someone like us, as opposed to like an individual investor, that we need a, a, probably a bit more volume. And so that is one of the decisions that we make is when we think there'll be a lot of volume at a price that we would like. So we want a, the lower price and we want higher volume. And taking both those things into account, I felt more sure that we would get it before the dividend. As it turned out, it wasn't necessary. Yeah. But you just got up at three whatever and, and put in the orders. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was fun. Uh, you continue on, talk a little bit more about uh, CSVI as we sold all of that, really just right. to buy Necker. To buy Necker, yeah. Um, that was pretty much the only reason. And then you give a little bit of an update on NACO. Yeah. Which is still our largest position in the portfolio. Yeah. And it's become much larger, which is why I talked about it. Um, so normally we target about a 20% of the portfolio position. We like to own about five stocks. We like to own them about equally. Yep. It hasn't been my policy. It has not been my policy to um, sell uh, as the stock goes up to like bring it back down to uh, 20% or whatever. So, so we don't rebalance. We don't rebalance, yeah. which is something that most uh, I don't know if most funds do it and stuff, but it's something that people typically talk about, about rebalancing. And like if a stock doubles or something, then they'll sell half of it to get back down to that level. And that's not something that we do. Um, but it's something that I think about now because NACO in people's portfolios has gotten to the point where it's um, about double the size of the second biggest position, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's just because it's an older position and it's gone up. So if a position's really new and or it hasn't gone up much, then it's not going to change much from where we bought it originally. Mm -hmm. But you have something like NACO becomes a bigger and bigger part of the portfolio. And so I talked about it. And I just talked about how I we originally put in the portfolio in um, low 30s or something like that in share price. And um, it's now in sort of mid-60s, like 64 or something as yeah. we're recording this, I think. Mm -hmm. um, about double. It's, it's almost exactly double. Um, and I explain why, although that would have been an appropriate – uh, like today's price was an appropriate level versus my original appraisal for the stock, uh, some things have happened that have made it more valuable. Mm -hmm. And those things are, one, just buildup of cash. So yeah. I talked about that. So, you know, you have uh, probably 10% or something of the market cap. It basically is just net cash that's built up since we got into the stock. And can I say, too, yeah. and I know I spoke about it on the podcast on Tuesday and also on the margin of safety. Because mm -hmm. this is one of the most common questions, okay. how do we think about margin of safety? I think most people think about margin of safety, and I use the example that they're going to buy it at 10, and then their margin of safety is they think it's worth 15. That's a big, mm -hmm. big you know, uh, difference, and that's the way they think about margin of safety is – um, like that, but we also think, okay, if we're gonna buy a 10 today and we think theoretically it's worth 15, but the companies that we invest in, they're all very high quality businesses and maybe they have a 10 uh, 10 percent free cash flow right. yield where you know theoretically if nothing happens to the stock for 10 years you're gonna get that mm -hmm. buildup of cash and so go ahead with that yeah so NAC when we bought it I, I expected that in five years we'd have uh, all the cash back exactly for the price we paid so that's what was baked into the margin of safety yeah so if we paid 30 to 35 dollars a share I expected that they would build up 30 to 35 dollars a share in free cash flow over yeah. the next five years uh -huh. yeah and they're on pace to do that, sure. Mm -hmm. In fact, to do it faster because of the natural gas. Yeah. So they started to have natural gas royalties come in. That was a small factor when we bought into the stock, so small that although I knew it was a positive value to the stock, I didn't really do an independent appraisal of what I thought the natural gas was worth. I just said, you know, it has some value. It was like a call event. option. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's become significant. This year they will probably earn more from natural gas royalties than from the coal business. Uh -huh. So that's very meaningful. Um, and I talked a little bit about how some people have sold out of it and some people talked to me about it saying, well, should I sell out because now it's depending more on the natural gas, you know? Um, and, you know, my attitude for that is basically um, 
uh, the, I have trouble selling the stock unless we find something that is as good, as safe, as cheap going forward as it is now, as NACO mm-hmm. is now. And um, with NACO, you have the lithium contract, which is speculative that way. Then you have the cash, which is very not speculative. And then you have the coal and the, um, the natural gas. The coal and the natural gas alone, just on their own earnings in a given year, probably support the stock price at 50 to $60 a share or whatever on their own, if they continued. Mm-hmm. But the question that people have is, well, what if the coal business drops off over time? Yeah. And what if the natural gas business drops off suddenly because you know their reserves start running out because of how high the production is and they don't find new things? and whatever. And those those are both true. Um, the stock isn't expensive on like a PE basis or anything like that. It's just concern of what if those things go away. Um, and they might, but they're doing different things. You know, they have a lime rock business. They have, they'll have the lithium business. They have natural gas. They have coal. It's become less likely that all those things are um, all correlated completely and that they would all stop working at the same time. But, you know, it's a risk and it's always been something that people are fearful of that way. Um, I'm not... You know, we have no plans of selling all of it. Uh, we'd be willing to sell it down to a more normal position if we found something that I liked as much at a low enough price. Yeah, for but the purpose that, of a new idea. Yeah, but just so people know, like, NACO's gone up. Like I said, it's probably doubled since about the time we bought it now. But the truth is that if you look at, like, on a PE basis or something, it's never had a double-digit PE. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about something that has no net debt and that if, like, if analysts were predicting, which the, it's not really covered by analysts or something, but if analysts were predicting next year's earnings, there's already, the company already said that natural gas royalties will increase this year over next year for each of the next two quarters. Mm-hmm. So if you had a forward PE even today, it would be below 10 on the stock. Yeah. So usually when a stock goes up 100% or something, the reason why it would make more sense to sell it is because you bought it at 15 times earnings or something, and now it's 30. That's mm-hmm. why you sell it. You shouldn't really just sell something because it's gone up 100%. Yeah. You know, it, so, you know, I still don't think you should sell something just because you'd still be selling something that has a PE of 10 or something, you know? What, do they, the what do they say? You never go broke, take it a profit? That's what they say <laughs> all the time. I yeah. Hate I hate that <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so people are thinking, should you sell because yeah. it went up a lot? Sure. Um, I mean, yes, if nothing else happened, then that would make sense. If there was no uh, cash build, if there was no natural gas royalties, if it was just the things that we bought for originally, they're absolutely right. It basically went from half of fair value to what I think fair value is. Yeah. But they've they've produced other kinds of earnings and stuff, which is somewhat a matter of luck and somewhat a matter of that's what we were um, in some cases that's what we were expecting. I yeah. mean, not that we expected necessarily a lithium uh, mine contract, yeah. but that's what the company been telling us for a long time is the sort of thing that they're trying to do is well, find other things to mine. And the way that's structured, as well as very I guess conservative, like the way that they structure their other you know, contracts and stuff mm-hmm. like that, very long-term oriented and stuff like that. Yeah, and just quarter before, I mean, now that's a big contract or whatever, but they signed it, one of the things they signed was a 20-year Lime Rock mm-hmm. um, uh, contract. They signed a 20-year Lithium one. That's not so shocking because they had always tried to have 10 to 30-year mm-hmm. contracts in the in the coal mining stuff that they did. And, you know, they, they do surface mining. They could do surface mining of all sorts of different things. Yeah. Um, what I thought was interesting, too, and we were talking about it on the way here, is the volume is, has really started to pick up in the company as well. Yeah, that is the thing that is... And we've talked about before how, you know, you buy these companies when they're liquid, and yeah. then they start to get more popular right. because the market starts to whatever, maybe start to, you know, realize it, or yeah. it just becomes more popular, or maybe it's the fact that maybe it's attracting... A attracting a different investor base now that it's natural gas royalties and stuff like that. Yeah. But the volume has really started to pick up on the daily volume has really started to pick up on the company. Yeah. And that's something I talked about in the letter that basically 
if that, that sort of thing that you have to keep finding these things, that's the curse of finding these overlook stocks is that they become more liquid and stuff. And then you have to f go out and find more overlook stuff. I yeah. mean, I talked about the example of like beta and stuff. Basically, I was saying that, you know, investors as a group can't, um, they, they, wherever they go, they're going to end up with the same uh, beta, basically. Mm -hmm. That they, if you are in a group of investors who are not l focused on overlook stocks, then if you decide, oh, we're going to get out of stocks and we're going to buy gold, we're going to buy Timberland, we're going to buy whatever, you're still going to end up with similar beta in those things because as a group, you're going to buy those things and you're going to trade it amongst yourselves and create that same thing. So that's why you see a huge correlation between things over time. Like it becomes popular with institutions and stuff to go into emerging markets. And now you look back and you go, wow, emerging markets are really correlated to the S&P 500 <laughs> in a way they weren't when people originally yeah. pitched the idea of investing in emerging markets. And that's the on a small scale, the problem that we have. Yeah. If we buy something like NACA, or something, sure, it's still not too expensive, but you're right that it does, over time, get more recognized. That mm -hmm. certainly happened with computer services, I think. It gets more recognized, and then eventually you have to find the next obscure thing and move into that. Otherwise, your stocks will eventually start to look more like the market. Yeah. You know? Um, and if you take that even further, like, you know, if they start to get ahead of themselves and stuff another year or so in the future, then, yeah, they can start to look more and more like the market. So you have to keep finding the kind of overlooked things. Because people ask the question a lot of, like, they kind of assume that overlooked stocks will stay overlooked forever. Yeah. And they sort of don't. At the moment where the, the people are most pessimistic about them and whatever, they're really overlooked. And then gradually something happens that they get less overlooked. Yeah. And you could see that it probably happening with NACO. That'll be less overlooked than at the moment of that spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, everyone was really focused on, ha on Hamilton Beach brands, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, no one wanted the coal company. Yeah, and now as they diversify into some other things and stuff, it'll probably get some attention from that more just as a normal stock. I mean, we were talking to an analyst who he said, you know, his firm looked over the company mm -hmm. a few years before because and the reasoning was that it was just a, a coal company. We don't want to be in the coal business. Right, you yeah. Know? Yeah, and the original reason why I had looked at it is because they had spun off some other things. Uh, I, well, we looked at it to buy it and stuff was when they spun off Hamilton Beach Brands, but I'd actually looked at it when they spun off High Street Yale. So those spinoffs and things do attract people to look at them in the first place. Yeah. But it does seem that people get more interested in the spinoff mm -hmm. than in something like this. And it takes a while. I bet that's true with spinoffs and things like that, that it does often take a year or two for them trading on their own before they get a lot of people paying attention sure. to them and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, that is the end of this special podcast. Hey, email me, info at focuscompound.com if you want an emailed copy, if you can't find it um, or you don't want to go on Twitter, but I did tweet it out, which is at Focus Compound. Um, if you want to get on the email list to receive these in the future, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com and you'll see a place to enter in your email. If you want to learn about the new fund or our managed account services that we offer to clients for investors, mm -hmm. um, reach out to me, info at focuscompounding.com and we could chat or you could go to the invest with us page on focus compound yeah you'll put that up on the website it will be on the yeah, website so yeah if people can go to focuscompounding.com there's a whole invest with us page and i have this it's got you know that shows the performance but also shows like all the past things that we have yeah, frequently asked questions yeah. pretty much everything you need to know yeah. so uh definitely do all that and reach out to me if you're interested i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us and we will see you in the next podcast take care Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.